This is Polyamory Weekly, tales from the front of responsible non-monogamy from a pansexual, kink-friendly point of view. A warning for our under-18 listeners, this is an adult-oriented podcast about really lascivious things like communication and honesty in relationships. If you're under 18 and looking for upfront advice and answers to questions about sex, please visit scarletteen.com. This is Polyamory Weekly, episode 165, for July 24th, 2008. Coming up on today's show, polyamory in Metamore City. No, not that kind of metamore. An interview with Chris Lester, coming up on today's show. Hey guys, I am your host, Minx, and we have so much show for you today. Last week was a little short, and this week is going to be much longer because there's tons of stuff today. Uh, always, if you ever want to get hold of us, email cunningminx at gmail.com. Call the listener comment line 206-202-POLY. Twitter, Cunningminx. You can leave a comment at the show blog, polyweekly.com, or you can participate in the forums at forum.polyweekly.com. And by the way, to the listener who uh, who is it twittered me and said, gee, you make it really hard to get hold of yourself. Where's your email address? <laughs> Don't you guys have it memorized by now if you listen to the beginning and end of every single freaking show? I don't always answer my email, but I'm nothing if not easy to get a hold of. All right, guys. Uh, I wanted to make a quick announcement. If you haven't already seen, I did produce a little YouTube video. It's five minutes and 30 seconds long. Really basic introduction to me as a polyamorous person. It's, hi, I'm Minx and I'm polyamorous. It's a PowerPoint slideshow that's animated. Really, really basic primer on... Hey, I'm a normal person. Look, I'm Polly. What? Like swinging? No, it's like this. Really, really basic. Uh, I I didn't get into a lot of the details of polyamory because I really did just want it to be as if it were that very first conversation with someone who has never heard or thought of this before. And I've already got some great feedback on it. Love to hear your feedback on it. I am going to be, uh, it took a lot of time. And as time allows, I would actually like to continue to do other presentations like this, hopefully involving more people that are willing to have their faces and names and voices associated with polyamory out there. Uh, and maybe do this on more topics in a little bit more detail uh, that's not quite so basic. And there's a link to that in the show notes. It's available on my YouTube videos. I'm Cunning Minx with two X's on YouTube. If you want to take a look and leave a comment, let me know what you think could make it better next time. Next announcement, Deborah Annapol, uh, who I contacted because I was getting permission to use her likeness in that particular photo essay and thought I would go ahead and plug some of her upcoming events. She's got this great event in Japan, if you happen to be in Japan, September 20th to 21st, Love Without Limits, Surrendering the River of Love with uh, Dr. Deborah Annapol. We all long for more love in our lives when we forget that deep inside, in the very core of our being, in the innermost chamber of our hearts, is an everlasting reservoir of love we go astray. We imagine that love is unattainable when the truth is that we've erected barriers to the abundant river of love which prevent us from feeling fully alive and free. Uh, And so in this seminar, they'll be talking about how relating with both sides of your brain naturally opens your heart, how to increase awareness of your inner truth, discover how you prevent yourself from loving and being loved more fully. (laughs) I wouldn't know anything about that. 
uh, create harmony among all four genders within you, and practice techniques for attracting and maintaining the intimate relationship of your dreams. If you'd like to find out more, you can email. I'll put a link on the site. It's Rami, R-O-M-M-Y, at S is in Sam, D is in dog, the number five, dot S-O hyphen N-E-T dot N-E dot J-P. Yeah, I'll put a link on the site. And next up, I had a wonderful chance to sit down with Chris Lester, who is the uh, creator, writer, and host of the Metamore City podcast, uh, which is a wonderful science fiction fantasy story podcast set in this incredible universe that Chris has created, Metamore City. No, not Metamore O-U-R, as in your lover's lovers. It's just plain old Metamore. <laughs> and I sat down with him not only because he has a fantastic podcast and uh, wanted a chance to talk with him, but also because uh, a big part of the community in his podcast is polyamorous out of necessity and out of utility. And I thought it would be really fun to talk with him about that in an alternate world sort of way. And here's what he had to say. We have such a special treat. Actually, in the studio today, do you know how many, how few guests actually get to be in the studio? I did not know that. And it's huge. Mm. <laughs> I, I am part of an elite cadre of podcast guests, it would seem. So uh, this is a little bit, bit of a different Poly Weekly because uh, since I have one of, in my opinion, the best, one of the best fiction, uh, sci-fi, fantasy, what category do you put yourself in there, podcasters? Uh, I, I, I call it... Um, the, the term that I'm particularly fond of is spell punk or cyberpunk fantasy. Um, but, you know, sci-fi fantasy works. So, okay, because I don't know what cyberpunk is, and it sounds like something that I'm not cool enough to read. Blade Runner? And I saw Blade Runner once a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, but, uh, uh, and I, I've mentioned it on the show once or twice. I think there's a lot of genius, if I do say so, in the Metamore City podcast. Oh, and and a lot of that is in the creating the world, the world that you create. And mm -hmm. if you haven't listened to their shows and um, haven't gone out and subscribed for free to the Metamore City podcast, I, I don't know why it's free and it's fantastic storytelling. It's really engaging. Well, thank you very and much. And your characters mm -hmm. go through a lot and they really change. They transform and change, which is, I think, the mark of really good writing, that they do change and learn and grow and start to want different things. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so the reason that you're here is because um, you're here in town going through it. I get you, so I get to drag you into the studio. Yes, uh, yes, I'm currently driving cross-country, um, moving all my worldly goods to California to start a new job, and so I asked uh, Minx if I could spend the night here as the first leg of my trip, and she said yes. So, I'm his very first on the trip. I'm blushing now. <laughs> <laughs> you can't hear that. Yes, they can. It's really good mm. radio. That's the, that would be that, that low sympathetic hum that they're hearing in the back of their uh, yeah. their speakers. Oh, okay, there, there, there's a tie-in, I swear, apart from the fact that this is a really great science fiction um, I don't want to call it a podcast novel. It's not. It's a podcast environment. What do you call it? I I call it an anthology series. It's um it's a series of interconnected short stories and novels that all take place in the same story universe. Oh, that makes a lot more sense than what I say, which is he's created this universe and the podcasts are a series of novellas about characters in mm -hmm. that universe. I like your way better. Thank you. <laughs> 
Uh, but you actually do have some, there's relevance, I swear, I'm getting to it. Uh, you actually do have polyamory built into the storyline mm -hmm. in um, your latest novella, which is not quite done. Mm -hmm. It's actually more than a novella. It is a full-size novel. Is it a full novel? It yeah. seems long. It's it's creeping up on uh, 200,000 words, and I think it will oh, yeah. actually hit 200,000 before the, the novel is finished. I'm currently writing chapter 29 of 31, and... Uh, I'm I'm around 175, 180. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that it's going to hit 200 before I'm finished. And it's called Making the Cut. Making the Cut, yes. And it is it's it's very carefully woven, very intense. And I'm just I'm really I'm all about character, and I'm really digging the characters. Uh, but uh, okay, sorry. T on topic, on topic. I'm sorry, guys. It's after 9 p.m. I'm like shut down for the evening. It's like past my bedtime. Uh, but you built polyamory into this universe specifically. Mm -hmm. Can you go into, describe the way the polyamory worked in and why you chose to do that? Okay, well the, uh, the storyline of Making the Cut focuses around the members of the Psy Collective, which is a worldwide community of telepaths. Um, these are people whose society is communal in nature. Um, they, everything in their, their civilization is based around the formation of these group minds called gestalts. Um, the idea being that if you can get a group of people together to sync up their minds with each other, to sort of pool their consciousness and pool all of their experiences, that you can then circumvent the natural human tendency towards selfishness and self-centeredness within a community because the community in essential, essentially becomes a super organism. You have a bunch of little minds getting together and forming one big group mind which then pursues its own best self-interest which is the self the best self-interest of the entire community and it occurred to me that you can apply this it, it scales up and scales down so you have the overall collective that um, doesn't really unite everybody at once all that often but then it's composed of the smaller cells which are small groups of individuals who sync up with each other on a daily basis and are constantly checking with each other to make sure that their their needs are being met. Um, the reason for the polyamory has to do with the fact that the size, the telepaths are a, they're a minority. They're a relatively recently emerged minority. They've only really had any sort of community for the last 100, 150 years. And they are very concerned about their long-term survival. Um, they sort of view themselves as being the next step in human evolution. And because of that, they sort of see themselves as being the, um, the, the safe keepers of the genetic heritage of mankind. And they're very concerned that if anybody ever decides that they are a threat and decides to shut them down, that if they were to be wiped out, that it would not only affect those individuals, but that it would set back the entire human race by you know thousands of years. And so they, they sort of see themselves as, as keeping the, the genetic destiny of humanity alive by doing whatever they have to do in order to ensure their own survival. And that means reproducing as quickly and efficiently as possible and making sure that they have as many uh, as many strong tell um size of 
all different kinds, telepaths, yes, but also um, telekinetics and other kinds, um, trying to breed as many of them as strong as possible so that if the mundanes ever decide to um, go to war to try to shut down the telepaths or try to subjugate them, that they will be able to win that conflict. And so their society is based around a model that has been proposed in the past for what would you do if you wanted to ensure um, that a human uh, colony would reproduce as, as quickly as possible. Like if we were to ever send, you know, colonies into space, um, how would you make sure that they they got things going as fast as possible? And the basic model that has been come up with is that the number of males that you have is really not a limiting resource. What determines the reproductive um, success of a, any um, society is the number of fertile females who are having babies because there's really no limit on how many women one man can keep pregnant and within you know, reason. I was just thinking we had this whole thing about, we talked about Heinlein in the car mm -hmm. on the yes. way back, and I'm getting flashbacks to Heinlein with all his women with baby fetishes where all they want to do is have babies and babies and babies. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason for this. There in, is a reason the for this. There's a yeah. compelling reason for this. Yeah, they're, they're, being, they're driven by their own need for survival and their own perception of their peril. They, they believe that, the, that they are in a very precarious position because they make up, you know, something in the order of, you know, less than 1% of the human population. And so they realize that their, their position is very tenuous. And so they've, you know, through the, the gestalts, through the group mind, they have decided that what serves the, org the superorganism, the, the hive as a whole, the best is to take the strongest males in the in the uh, collective and breed them to as many um, women as possible so that the next generation you will have as many strong offspring as possible. And so the society is set up so that you have one or very rarely two males in a cell and then you have a group of three or four or at most five um, women who are in that, that breeding cell with the men whose job it is to keep these women um, pregnant on a regular cycling basis so that at any given time you have one who is in the early stages of pregnancy, one who's in the late stages of pregnancy, one who is nursing, and one who is not currently um, reproductive and can thus work and you know really contribute to taking care of everybody else's kids. And the whole thing works because they are able to put aside self-centeredness and jealousy to sort of sink into the collective, the, the group mind of the breeding cell so that what I, what your, my neighbor needs is what I need. What, you know, my co-wife needs is what I need is what my husband needs and so on and so forth. And so the whole community, it becomes a very self-reinforcing right. kind of thing. Uh, now, <laughs> <laughs> I know we're getting very much into this world of Metamorcity, but hey, I've got Chris Lester with me, so I'm going to ask him stuff. And I talk a lot, folks. <laughs> Which is uh, fantastic, because it means I get to talk less. Woo! Uh, now, so it's very important that, you, and you have a storyline around the fact that the male in the breeding cell must be a very high-level telepath right? Uh, for this to work. Now, one thing I don't understand is, uh, it, because you had a male character that was not, and mm -hmm. wanted to be with a female character who was in a breeding cell, and right. there was... A big conflict, and if you want to find out more, go listen to make it, uh, making the cut. Um, how important is it that the 
it seems to me it would be equally important that the females be high level. You want high level males and high level females because do we really understand? I mean, okay, I know mm -hmm. we're not really telepathic that we mm -hmm. know of, uh, but it's my understanding that you can't always predict which genes will go where. So if you mm -hmm. have a high level male and maybe his genes just don't get passed on, you need high level females as well, right? The general rule is within the, the context of the, the universe is that um, telepathic talent tends to be somewhat additive so that if you have you know if you have a, a, a male who's a power level nine say in in telepathy and a female whose power level is three that the kids are generally speaking going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of six and upward um, none of them are going to be as weak as the, the mother is yes in an ideal setting you would want the very strong females and the very strong males to be breeding together and that is something that that happens within the, the um, psi collective community. Um, it's kind of off screen because none of our characters, none of the, the female characters really fall into the super high powered um, category. But because of the because the rate at which a society can reproduce is always limited by the number of um, fertile women that you have. Um, they can't afford to discard any females the way that they have discarded their males. The males are surplus, but there's, you know, even if you've got, um, you know, a, a female who's power level one, power level two, power level three, you know, she's not going to ever produce any superstar children, probably, unless there's some really freaky, um, old, you know, unusual interaction of the genetics, but she will be producing children of adequate telepathic power to justify her continuing existence in the hive. Right. Okay. So that makes sense to me anyway. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, I'm wondering if people listening are rolling their eyes. We have a lot of sci-fi fans in the audience. I don't <laughs> know. So I'm kind of wondering if people are tuning out or if they're finding it as interesting as I do. I hope you guys are finding it as interesting as I do. When, uh, when, uh, MA and PA interviewed me for Better Late Than Never. She's got some background in biochemistry and so she in genetics, and so she was like critiquing me on like, you know, <laughs> well, you realize, of course, that there, this is reducing the genetic variability within the population, and so you're actually hurting yourself in the long run. I said, yes, I understand that. This, I'm not saying that their their tactics are completely irrational. I'm saying that they've, you know, or that they're necessarily the overall best strategy, but they are the best strategy for what they are trying to accomplish because of what that society values, what they believe is important. Fortunately, I'm not that smart, so I'm not going <laughs> to challenge you on genetics because <laughs> I am not a rocket scientist. Aren't you guys ecstatically happy that I'm not? Uh, so, so let's talk about the dynamics within these breeding cells. Mm -hmm. How do people get placed in the cells in this universe? And do they really, you know, did you really create a world where people just like don't get jealous and is can can we say oh there's because there's gestalt nobody gets jealous well nobody there is there is there is i there's the idealized system and then there's how it's actually practiced um the if if what the uh, if the collective did what they say that they do if they if everybody was completely open and honest and gave themselves completely into the gestalt then it would work but one of the things that you see throughout making the cut is that everybody has secrets. Everybody has sides of themselves that they're holding back. Things that they, they are 
withholding from the re- the other people in their breeding cell things that they're withholding from, from the gestalt from the yeah, thing, hive yeah things that things that they they keep within themselves that they don't show to the of even to the other people in their own breeding cell and we see the destructive effects of this over the course of this the story a lot I, I'm I'm a I'll warn you guys I'm a big fan of dramatic irony and uh-huh. so as the story goes on you will see a lot of instances where if people were just being honest with each other they could avoid a lot of the grief and pain that they end up experiencing. That's just sort of true in life in general, though. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Yep, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. But uh, you know, I, I I established the the system as you know in its sort of platonic ideal um, at the beginning. But then I, when I actually wanted to write a story about these characters, I had to think about okay, so I have the ideal. How does it break? How does mm-hmm. it how does it malfunction? Because if there's no conflict, there's no story. Right. But in terms of how they get placed in these breeding cells, um, the children, when they within the the psi collective, they start getting um, socialized with uh, with other children within the collective at a fairly young age, and then from about the age of ten onward through graduation from high school, they are all the children are living together in what's called a creche. It's uh, basically a, a glorified boarding school where all uh, it's all telepaths. It's all members, well, not all telepaths, but all size, all members of the Psy Collective. And within that sort of community, that's sort of their opportunity to break away from identifying with mom and dad and co-mom and co-mom and co-mom's breeding cell um, and ident- establishing their identity as members of the hive in general. And within their cohort, within the, with the other members of the, um, the creche who are in their relative age group, they start to form connections with other members of that community. And so, you know, the uh, the hive sort of encourages um, relationships with to develop between the the um, the young people. It to a certain extent encourages sexual experimentation within that the within the the confines of the creche. And so you get these emotional bonds being formed between members um, before they've even graduated and before they're even qualified to join a breeding cell. Okay, and that's leading to my next question, mm-hmm. um, which was a point of dramatic conflict in the story as well. Of, mm-hmm. So who decides who goes in the breeding cell? Are you forced to you know, have sex and mate with people you don't really love because they're high-powered telepaths? <laughs> the, the general rule is that the breeding cells are formed um, from the basis of the relationships that have been established within the the creche as long as those relationships are going to lead to um you know a productive breeding cell um in the case of our characters you had daniel who is this sort of low-powered male telepath who gets um ends up getting excluded from a breeding cell because he's not his powers aren't strong enough for him to be useful to them but his girlfriend rebecca and some of their other friends who they were forming connections with get grouped together 
into a breeding cell. Because they're friends. Because they're friends. And they have that loyalty to each other. And um, Fiona and Sasha were actually already in a relationship before the breeding cell was formed. Which leads to the next question. Hmm. Gay, lesbian. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't really get a lot of breeding with that. That's true. However, one of the the ways that the... um, the collective likes to encourage a sense of bonding and a sense of solidarity within the cell is to encourage the women to pursue feelings of bisexuality if they are. And actually, if you are not bisexual, they can make you bisexual if you want to be. <laughs> there, you know, they can telepathically restream your psychology, your your psyche, to rewire you that way, because it is. Um, beneficial. They found that it is beneficial for everybody within the cell to feel like they have a deep emotional slash spiritual connection with everybody else within the cell, um, rather than all of the women competing with one to you know for the affections of one man. Right. That's that sort of polygamous scenario is not. Um, long-term stable and yeah. you know not not as stable as if there are other you know the other relationships within the uh, the breeding cell also um, have that emotional resonance so you said usually one man occasionally two what about mm-hmm. gay men doesn't seem like there's much of a place for them there the uh, um, homosexuality among men is um, tolerated particularly among the lower powered males who are kind of uh, you know, ostracized. They're kind of out on the street. They're, anyway. Yeah, they're exactly. They're, compl- they're used. It's like yeah, they will. Is it? Girls in Chinese culture, they're considered pretty mm-hmm. useless. They will be cared for. They will they they will be provided with health care, with a place to live, and uh, with the protection of the hive if they want to continue living. You know, with most of their finances going into the collective coffers. You know, that's the thing when you buy into this system. You're basically signing over your paycheck to the collective funds management, and they distribute to you what you actually need. So it's very com- you know communal, very communal, very socialist, very yeah. socialist. Yeah, very, so you get taken care of mm-hmm, in exchange yeah, in for, exchange for this. yeah, so. give, signing your life over to them. And people can choose to leave. They can choose to. Um, you know, to pay off their ex- their remaining debts to the the collective, and then move out on their own and join the capitalist society that the rest and of Metamore lives under. There's a storyline surrounding that that I will not spoil for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me back up because it's really funny. You talk about this. It's one thing I love about this uh, series and which this world you've created is it's. You talk about it like like it's real. It's it really is this universe that you've you've thought through exactly why uh, people interact socially and what the social structure is and what does and doesn't work and what things um, are kind of uh, sticky wickets within that mm-hmm. where there's room for rebellion. Yes. So where did you come up with the idea to have in particular telepaths and in particular to have this idea of these polyamorous breeding cells? There are a number of ways you could have done this mm-hmm. uh, with respect to you know telepaths wanting to breed. Why did you choose to create it this way? That is probably a question for my muse. <laughs> yeah, a lot of this is stuff that that is. Is she here? Um, <laughs> yes, but she's very she's very microphone shy. Okay. But um, you know, 
this is the nature of it basically comes down to the the age-old question that every writer hates which is where do you get your ideas i'm um, sorry <laughs> no it's okay am i not is that gersh to ask it's it is but it's okay um the reason why is because we don't have an answer <laughs> um we pick up ideas from a lot of different places actually probably the first i i do sort of have an answer for this one um, because there was one bit of imagery that played that stuck very strongly in my mind early on in my writing career, which was in uh, the sci-fi series Babylon Five. Um, in season five, I love Babylon Five. In season five, there is a a storyline centering around a community of telepaths who move into the station and set up shop, and they're all focused around this very um, dynamic central leader. Jesus figure. Yeah, definitely a messianic figure. But if you look at the way that those characters interact with each other, there's a, a at least when I, what I see, I see a very strong poly vibe within that community. Hmm. You know, that there's, you, you see a lot of very deep, intimate, affectionate connections being formed within that society. And it's almost, it, it is kind of cult-like, but... Um, I was going to say, it read less, and I haven't, granted, I haven't seen mm -hmm. it in about two years. I'd have to watch season five again. It read more as a cult to me than mm -hmm. loving Polly. The, I think it depends I th on how you look at yeah, it, though. Yeah, I think that there, there are definitely aspects of both that you can read into it. But it started me thinking, because you, you see these um, characters joining together in this sense of solidarity, this sense of unity. And it started me thinking about, well, what would you actually, you know, what would the, a society like that be like if it were replicated across a broader scale than just this little group of people on this one um, station? If you take that persecution complex that, that the, the telepaths had, and you apply that to a unified communitarian society that has a um, a unified sense of what their values are and has the resources to act on them. How would they act on that that perceived threat? Um, it's I've mentioned in some of my other um, interviews that the uh, the telepath society sort of is my you know, th this this story is my way of addressing some of the problems that I see in um, the way that America interacts with the world mm. and in the way that the church interacts with the world. Um, I, yeah, I, you, you kind of tweak your head at that, but um, there's the, the, the fortress mentality, the sense of everybody outside the community, whatever the community is, is the enemy. And... They may not be coming after us now, but they will be. And so we have to fight. We have to be prepared to, you know, to, to resist no matter what. And so this, you develop this fixation upon outsiders being bad, outsiders being threat. And then that starts to affect all of your decisions about what what you put value on, what you consider to be important. Doesn't every culture or minority have that to some extent? I mean, aren't we all jingoistic to some extent? I think to some extent, probably yes. The reason why it's um, been 
the, the reason why I particularly mention the church is because I was raised in the evangelical charismatic mm. uh, movement, which has a lot of good things about it, but it definitely has a fixation with that sort of, you know, the world is evil and we're just all sitting here hunkered down in our, our spiritual bunker waiting for rapture sort of feel to it. And, um, and a lot of what I've seen in America since 9-11 with the, you know, the focus on the war on terror, air quotes. Um, <laughs> no air quotes in my studio. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, you know, the, uh, the things that we've done in pursuit of trying to make ourselves feel safer and we've ended up creating more problems than we've solved. And that's, those are, there's no direct one-to-one -one parallels, but those are some of the same themes that have inspired mm. um, the relationship between the Psy Collective and its world, because these are people who feel that they're under siege. Well, I think that I definitely saw in Babylon 5, mm -hmm. with um, the telepaths being treated as, by the mundanes, as second-class citizens, because everyone feared them because they're telepathic, who right. doesn't... Everybody kind of wants to be telepathic, but nobody wants to know one because we're all paranoid yeah. about other people being able to read our thoughts. It's very threatening. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there was the Psycor in B5, which was, you know, led by the extremely evil and creepy Bester. Yes, when you when you take <laughs> when you take the the already unsettling uh, characteristic of telepathy and combine it with the power of government behind it, it becomes something that is extremely icky. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, you know, that was just creepy in B5 mm -hmm. anyway. But, yeah, the um, interesting thoughts on um, the, the telepathy in general, which, you know, whoever thought that we'd be talking about this on the show, I swear <laughs> it's related to Polly. Really, it is. I swear. Um but with the idea of creating a poly society with a fictitious polyamorous society mm -hmm. um, because of these specific needs. It actually does call back to mind uh, the Poly Weekly Book Club. Our next book to read is The Myth of Monogamy, mm. um, which is based on uh, it's, it's uh, talking about the breeding habits of different animals, including birds, which were previously thought to be monogamous. And the fact that we, I mean, there's a reason that mm -hmm. uh, men engage in what we call philandering behavior. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason that women do it as well. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, both m uh, the male and female birds in the species were cheating at one time and another and for one reason or another. So it's interesting biologically to find out. Um, anyway, I'm rambling and it's late. So. Um. But yeah, it was, I would just sort of <laughs> add on to that, that, um, you know, the, the, biological imperative does you know it it the it leads us to engage in in monogamous relationships because it it is a way of ensuring mate guarding and of socially monogamous relationships right right in which the usually the male will engage like as you said in mm -hmm. mate guarding which is making sure the woman doesn't get hit on by other guys right so we but, see that there's there's a jealousy and yes. suspicion and host, you know, mutual hostility within the community that's all tangled up in this inherence, you know, inherently in this social structure. Yes. And if you, you know, in, in polygamous societies, you see jealousy and competition taking place between the women 
or the females in any species um, competing for the affections of the male who controls the pride or pack or whatever. Um, and you also tend to see a lot of fighting among males to determine who's going to be the guy who gets to be, you know, on top. That's some, you know, every polygamous society has tremendous um, male-male conflict because of this this need to because if you don't if you're not the guy on top then you are out you're, you're screwed yeah. your genes are out of the gene pool i used to work right. on uh research on elephant seals which ha are a strongly polygamous society and they have you know the males before the females ever show up on the beach for for mating season the males are there beating the snot out of each other to figure <laughs> out who's going to be on top and the guys who the, the, the ones who don't get to be the alpha bull they end up um, living on the fringes of society watching for females to stray away from the harem and any female who strays away from the protection of the male will get caught and raped um, by one of these sneaker males. Oh, see, now I was thinking of the more of being like the cute little Linux geeks on the edge of society that when a woman wanders away, he comes over and offers to fix her computer. <laughs> the word rape was a little violent for that, but... Um, All sex is rape in the elephant seal community. Uh, there, it and, really and is. And you heard it here on Polly Every Week. <laughs> uh, okay. But it started... But there is a point to all this. You know, it, it made me think about... If you have a society that is telepathic, that has the ability to see itself as a single organism, then all of the rules about natural selection that normally apply to individuals can then apply to the organism, the, the superorganism. It's just like bees. It, you know, the, in a hive of bees, all of the none of the workers have their own. Um, their own reproductive capacity because they're all they're all asexual they seek the good of the hive which means seeking the good of the queen and her drones and doing what's best for the community as a whole and so i saw the inherent instabilities in monogamous society as it's generally practiced and the inherent instabilities in any um, polygamous system that has been practiced and started to think about how um, how the idea of gestalt could circumvent those sorts of attitudes um, again if it were implemented perfectly <laughs> and that's always going to be a problem because give it we have you know thousands and thousands of years of evolution telling us that I am the most important person in my universe, and so giving up my but I am. <laughs> and so giving up a sense of my my selfhood, my identity, to this larger community. Yes, it may be good for me in the long run, but how much of that can I live with myself? You know, how, you know, yeah. because eventually the gestalt ends, and you're back in your own head again. And then you have to live with the choices that you made when you were part of the, the gestalt. You may be able to still see the reasons behind them. You may be able to fully support the logic behind them, but you still are an emotional animal who makes decisions in an emotional way rather than in a rational way. And so that's one of the things that I'm exploring with making the cut. And one of the things that I think, uh, you know, every society, monogamous or you know, polyamorous or whatever has to deal with. It's what, you know, what are the the long-term emotional consequences for 
making the choices that I make and you know can what am I willing to give up of myself so that the whole so that the community can benefit so that the the social structure that I'm a part of can benefit and we all make decisions about how much we're willing to surrender of ourselves in order to help the people around us to be happy. That's true. You know, every married couple makes compromises. Every you know polyamorous every group. And quiet. Everybody's got to make compromises. And yeah, for the for the greater good, and also for I mean, selfishly for your own happiness, but mm-hmm. for the greater good. And and one of the interesting things about you know, the things that, that's really fascinating to me about polyamorous relationships is that you know the more people you've got involved, the number of relationships increases geometrically. Yes. So you've, you know, within my little breeding cell in making the cut, I have to not only think about the relationships of Sasha and Fiona and Rebecca to Brian, I have to think about what is the relationship between Sasha and Fiona? What's the relationship between Sasha and Rebecca and between Fiona and Rebecca? And, and how, Sasha and Fiona and Rebecca. Yeah, and how do all of these things interact with each other? And you'll see over the course of the novel each of those relationships playing themselves out in all of their complexities and hang-ups because everybody's got issues with everybody else. Of course. It's just a question of how much you're willing to give up. for. It is. You know. it's, it's a very rich tapestry, which is, again, <laughs> why I really enjoy your work and your writing. Well, thank you very much. And I'm going to have to cut this short because we are melting away <laughs> in here. There's no air conditioning in the studio, and if there were, I'd have to turn it off with a microphone. And I think I am in a puddle in the floor, and not in a good way. <laughs> and poor Chris here is like, you're, you're sweating bullets, dude. <laughs> Suffering for the art. It's, you know, it's, it's what uh, I'm willing to give up to benefit uh, the society for the, yeah, for the greater good. Oh, you're so sweet. You like how I tied that back in? You see what I, I did there? I like it. It's great. Uh, okay, we're going to go into the air conditioning. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. And thanks again to Chris for sitting down and talking with me. I had so much fun. It's always, again, one of the reasons I love this podcast is because I get to sit and talk with people who are smarter than me about the, about polyamory and other things that they think about. What, did you know that about the, what was it, the seals? Who knew? Hey, Minx. This is Ellie from Bedroom Radio. I'm listening to Poly Weekly number 161, I think, and you just played some listener feedback that mentioned me, actually, uh, to hear um, on another podcast. Um, and, of course, um, there was a, a note that I had pod faded, and um, I guess I, I'm just calling to we'll let you know and, and perhaps this listener of yours know that I'm back, and I've been doing shows for the past two or three months, and they're, they're right there um, on my website, bedroomradio.blogspot.com. And I also want to tell you a great show, and I've been really enjoying listening to it. And um, you've helped me so much with my relationship, and I am grateful for that. So this isn't just a, this isn't just a plug for my podcast. So I did want to um, correct the fact that I haven't completely podfaded, or at least I, I've, I've returned. And if anyone wants to send me uh, sex toys, do that. Um, I've been reviewing sex toys recently on the show, and I will continue to do that. So an Oh My Bod would be awesome, um, and uh, I've been still playing that music. So uh, just a correction to put out there that Bedroom Radio is is back uh, and 
publishing regularly and keep up the good work with your show. It's wonderful and a real asset to the community. I love this that <laughs> I love this that you know you call in a comment to say no I'm not pie faded really I'm still around that's great and by the way no sending her sex toys no no sending the Omibod vibrator until I get one I want the vibrator for my iPod have I not hinted and actually asked directly enough times Hi Minx it's Amul calling I am calling to give feedback on the feedback and episode 162 uh, from Matt who was commenting on, I believe it was episode 158, hitting on people. Uh, I think the key point to remember is that while it might be unwise and uncomfortable to walk up to women in regular local social events and be like, hey, babe, I want to tag you right now, uh, that's going to discourage them from coming back or make them feel uncomfortable. There is absolutely nothing wrong with telling someone that you find them interesting, engaging, and attractive, and that's certainly not going to dissuade someone from going to a local event. Obviously, as you said, and I completely agree, if there's a time-sensitive issue, the rules change, but if you're talking about someone who is local to you, then I don't think you should be, if you're talking about expressing an interest in someone, um, that's okay. But talking about uh, being very blatant and blunt about your sexual interest in someone is probably, yes, there's probably quite a lot of that going on in the sci-fi scene and uh, other local events where women are a uh, minority. So, uh, yeah, avoid being blunt and crass, but if you're honest, respectful, and uh, in intelligently engaged with them, then there's not going to be any problem with expressing that to a woman. Um, anyway, great show. Loving what you're doing with the new feedback form. I will talk to you later. Um, well, I think you bring up a really interesting issue that the approach may be dependent upon the immediacy and the time sensitivity of the situation. You're right. If you are at a con, if you're visiting in a foreign city, or if it's an event where you don't have an expectation of being able to see the person again within a reasonable amount of time, if it's just, you know, we're at a party, we're here, we're in the moment, might not ever see this person again unless I say something, then yes, maybe um, Andrea's approach of, hey, I really like you. I would like to pursue something more sexual with you if you'd be interested in that. How about some coffee right now? <laughs> Sometimes you do want to see the, seize the moment. Uh, but as you said, if there's not a strong sense of urgency of, or of missed, if, if of missed opportunity, then maybe a softer approach, as in saying, "Hey, I find you interesting. I find you attractive." And and um, as as for the sci-fi communities or the conventions, I, I don't know. I I guess I would say it 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 depends on who you are and who the situation is. Sometimes. If the women are being hit on a lot, yeah, you may want to be more forward and more blunt. Or because the women are being hit on a lot, because there's more of a women are more of a minority at sci-fi events, then maybe you want to take the softer approach and say, "Hey, I find you interesting," as opposed to, "Hey, let's go back to my room, baby." <laughs> I guess uh, you know. I, I think you know. Maybe there's not one right answer. Listen, to, I would say listen to the approaches, try them, see what works, see what feels comfortable for you. Try pushing your comfort zone. Try something you haven't done before. Try it a couple of times, not just once, and then maybe you'll find a happy medium and see which approach works best for you and which approach works best in different situations. Amol, obviously what you're doing is working out for you. 
Next comment was from Pikachu on episode 161. We're talking about episodes 161 and 162 here, in case you noticed. And says, I, I got positive feedback on the listener mail format. Funny you should mention Escape Pod, because I just sent Stevie Lee compliments on his new format. While I agree with you that feedback is often a large part of the show, I often want you to get to the day's topic more quickly. And Pikachu, you're not the first one to say that, and I've been trying to do that in keeping the announcements very short. I do think the announcements are really important to do up front. And I'm trying to keep those really short. So you guys let me know how I'm doing with respect to getting to the topic more quickly. And Pikachu continues, I appreciate the balance of organization you have, just enough to keep it all together without putting the show into something too rigid. And I won't say anything about being too rigid right now, my friends. Chris, on episode 162, the user manual, RTFM, read the fucking manual says, hey, Minx, love the show. I just finished episode 162 and thought your comparison of the personal user manual to Michael Gerber's work was brilliant. Ooh, brilliant. I'd like to officially call this fusion the me myth. Now, for those who don't recall, Michael Gerber's uh, business book is on the e-myth, the entrepreneurial myth. And in this book, uh, he espouses the idea of running your business, even if it's only one person, as if it were a franchise, so that you're constantly writing a manual for your business. The idea is that one day it will expand and you will train other people to do what it is that you do. So he's now saying the me myth. I'm now inspired to write my own. Thanks for all your great work. I've had a lot of fun continuing to write on my user manual. I've had a lot of people hit on me specifically using techniques from the user manual. And I even had one friend comment and say, hey, that user manual is a little, you know, it's all about me. It's all about me. What about what you can do for other people? This seems a little selfish. To which my reply was, hey, dude, this is the user manual. If you want that information, you got to go see marketing. If you like what you've heard today, please do tell a friend or blog about us. Contact our marketing department at polyweekly.com or consider donating by the tip jar at polyweekly.com. For your own CD chock full of Minx's hand-picked favorite episodes from the first two years of Polyweekly, please visit poddisc.com. Welcome and thanks to our new sponsor, adamandeve.com. Polly Weekly is hosted by Libsyn. The blog is donated and maintained by The Wonder Scooter. The audio is edited by The Wonder J. And recently, Raymond has taken over providing show notes for you guys. I'd like to thank the entire Polly Weekly team for making this week's show possible. And special thanks out to our special guest, Chris Lester. Good luck in California. Can't wait for the next two chapters of Making the Cut in Metamore City. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, it's not all about the sex. Sometimes it's about reproducing more telepaths. 